Toronto FC, a team with a new direction after an off-season makeover. It's an all-Canadian affair. Matt working against Morgan. Puts it across the line. Yes! Marco DeVille! That's what we expected from him! To make those rainbows in my mind when I think of you sometime and I wanna spend some time with you just the two of us. Two Solitudes podcast. I am Dwayne Rollins along with Kevin Laramay. Kevin, uh, exciting news. Our uh, listeners have voted us into a little uh, election. You want to tell us about that? On World Soccer Talk, they have for this year the first time ever in Best of MLS 2014 awards. And the Two Solitudes is nominated in the Best Podcast category. And as of right now, we stand with 10.78% of the vote which is not even 1% off the famous Men in Blazers. Who hate MLS and shouldn't yes. be nominated an MLS award. But uh, <laughs> yeah, look, uh, we're not going to win this. Uh, it, it's a DC United-based podcast is running away with it. Uh, I listened to it. Actually, I'd never heard it before, but Me I listened either. to it yesterday. It's a decent podcast. They do interviews. Uh, they're a little bit frat boy, but, you know, teach their own. Uh, the sound effects and all that sort of jazz stuff we don't normally do, although we do do the bumpers and that. So I guess we shouldn't talk too much, right, Kevin? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but uh, at any rate, they're, they're, they're solid. They're they're solid cast, so good for them if they, they end up winning this. I just wanted an MLS podcast to win it, but I think what really makes me happy about this is that we weren't initially on the list, and it was our readers that actually went out of their way, or readers, listeners, mm-hmm. that went out of the way to, to vote us on, so they had to put us on, they had to recognize it, and surely that will gain us some, some followers. So uh, And so far, we're furring off pretty good, which is fun, because I didn't want to be last. Yeah, yeah. And, well, we're not. I think there's a couple on there that are quite quite a bit behind. But at any rate, it's uh, it's. I'll tell you a little quick secret about that. I am the. Uh, you're talking to Kevin. You're talking to the 2009 Canadian Podcaster of the Year. Did oh you know wow! That? Uh, no, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. There used to be uh, Canadian Blogging Awards, which had a podcasting category. I'm also. I was also the Blogger of the Year, <laughs> and and my blog was the Blog of the Year. Uh, in 2009, and that, that all had to do with uh, me getting angry at them in 2008 because I wanted to prove a point, and uh, I ended up sweeping the blogs of the year were all soccer blogs, and the podcasts of the year were all podcast are all soccer podcasts because <laughs> we were pissed at the Canadian podcast of the year for three years in a row it was a Boston Red Sox podcast by a guy from Boston that just happened to live in Canada that had no Canadian content in it whatsoever, <laughs> like. I got all angry with them, and I started arguing that he should be ineligible, and they, they called me out, and I said, fine, you wait a year, and we'll see, and I swept everything, because <laughs> I, I unleashed the power of the Canadian soccer on them. <laughs> kind of the same reason why you think, and I think, Men in Blades should be in that category. There's other categories in those awards that they could be in, but like in the best podcast for MLS, I never heard Men in Blazers talk about MLS. Yeah, well... In a good way, anyways. <laughs> Yeah, they're they're based in the United States, and they will talk about it in the past. You know what? Men of Blazers is a decent podcast. If you don't listen to it, if you want another premier-focused podcast, by all means, download it. It's a great podcast that way. Some knowledgeable guys there that can be funny. It's it's a good show. 
uh, wouldn't be who I'd vote for. I would probably vote for either the, either the Guardian or the Football Ramble, just because Football Ramble is the only one that makes me fall down laughing as I'm walking up stairwells and stuff like that. <laughs> People stare at me in the subway when I'm looking to the Football Ramble. I'm guilty of that too. Yep. At any rate, so <laughs> at least once a day I get caught laughing alone somewhere, and it's always awkward. Yeah, all right. Um, okay, well, this show, we're going to talk about Adam Braz and uh, what the hell's going on in Montreal. It's got all the drama without the double-decker buses there, Kevin, in Montreal. I, I don't know what's going on. We'll talk about that. Uh, the Old Boys Network. How do you say Old Boys Network in French? La Ligue du Vieux Poil. There you go. That's what we're going to talk about, I think. Uh, we're going to talk about the uh, MLS, Lee Wynn, uh, sort of what happened with him in Vancouver. A lot of people are maybe have forgotten about that. So or want to forget about it. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to talk about that, whether it was the right decision by the Whitecaps um, a couple years ago to let him go uh, based on what happened. And we'll, we have the tweets all lined up here, so a bit of a, a warning that I'm going to read them. And there's some language that may make some people uncomfortable, but for the sake of the journalism in it, we will do that. I'm uh, going to talk about Camillo. He did something there. Uh, uh, Akadeli uh, won the Rookie of the Year. We'll talk about that. Uh, we're going to break down the two MLS games, and we're going to talk about USL Pro Vancouver and Toronto FC have joined uh, Les Deux. I don't F- know. FC Montréal. There you go. <laughs> All right. We'll do that right after this quick break. back and Kevin I want to start with I think the biggest news of the week here in Canada is the Adam Braz TD hiring caught me off guard caught everyone off guard fair enough Adam Braz for those that don't remember and it was a very brief MOS player uh he's a TFC legend no I think he played 13 games for Toronto FC he was one of the guys that a lot of people point to as uh, the epitome of what went wrong with TFC in their first season. Now, for those that don't remind, I don't want to make this a TFC conversation, but there was there was a greater requirement of Canadian players at that point. Uh, Mo Johnson, without a big knowledge of the Canadian uh, talent base, such as it was, uh, hired basically relied on one agent. Adam Braz was a client of his. He came in on a big amount of money and barely played. I think he played 13 games, and then he ended up getting released. So uh, he uh, went back to the Impact family, played a little bit in their USL and ASL days. Uh, he's he's kind of an Impact player, right, Kevin? He's, a, he's still a, he's a legend for with the supporters because of his his known temper back in the days on and off the pitch, and he's been the equipment manager up until a year ago for the Montreal Impact as well. When I say equipment manager, is a little bit degrading. It's not a, it's team manager. So he was responsible for a lot more than just the equipment. It was one of the it's a term used a lot, uh, trying to denigrate the, the role, but it wasn't. He was manager for the team for the first two seasons in MLS. Last year, he went into other business venture, into real estate in Miami. And out of the blue, this week, they announced him as a new technical director for Montreal. Uh, I don't get how one year selling real estate really gets you ready for that type of environment. But uh, apparently, somebody do think so in Montreal. Yeah, a team manager would do things like book the hotels, uh, make sure the travel arrangements are right, like the per diems he'd pass out, like stuff like that. That's mm-hmm. kind of what a, a team manager do. And he's just say it's it's a worth it's a role that's a little bit more than washing jock straps. But at the same time, uh, it's not about signing contracts and finding value in MLS and understanding the MLS rules and trying to develop a playing style for the entire uh, team. And that's kind of what the role he's been hired for. Am I not? Is that not right? Uh, yeah. 
yeah. And other thing too, uh, they don't, they didn't, and they probably won't now because they announced that uh, Braz is there. They did not see any other candidate for that opening, which in one of Patrick Ledzik's article from Montreal Impact defended the rights for La Presse and uh, and uh, RDS uh, French TSN. Today he wrote that. Uh, okay, it's out of the blue, out of the woodwork. It comes out of nowhere. The guy does have some people skills, does have some talent, and he's a good speaker. He does have some skills required to do that job. Agreed. And that's from people that actually know him. But the one thing he's wondering is uh, why there was no other candidate met. And that's what's surprising to me. If you don't open your mind to have somebody from the outside or just somebody else... Than your first choice or your preferred choice or your friends, I don't see how accountability or maybe just you know, you know the the guy who's been working his uh, his tail off for the last couple of years and wants the job and always gets surpassed by somebody else's friends. Some days he's gonna get mad and he's gonna leave. You know. Well, yeah. And look, my understanding of this is NDS was pretty involved with the hiring as well. Which he might... said he told Richard Lejeune that he they should look at brass. He's like. Uh, DS called Braz, and then the Richard Lejeune took over the hiring of Adam Braz, as, as I was told. Yeah, so basically, NDS has hired the guy that's going to replace him, and he's a buddy of his. Like, this is a strange little scenario that's going on here. The impact continued to be sort of um, like a mom and pops operation in a lot of ways, is the only way to describe it, I guess, whether it's sort of stay keeping it in the family. I, like as an outsider, I, I I'm trying to be somewhat open-minded about this. Here in Toronto, we have a very different perspective on Adam Bratz than you do in Montreal as a player. Uh, he after he left Montreal, didn't really like the uh, Toronto fans who booed him terribly and probably unfairly at times because it wasn't really his fault. He was put in a position he couldn't succeed in. But uh, you know, he he turned around, wasn't a very big fan of the FTC after he left. So obviously, there's a bit of a bias there. But at the same time, he just looks woefully unqualified for this position. Um, I assume he's bilingual. That probably played a role as well. But trilingual, trilingual. He's Italian as well. I think he does speak Italian. Yes. So yeah, and I was I was wondering that is that a key component to the role in Montreal for that that position? I would think. No, you know what that says to you know the specter of NDS that we talked in the last couple of months. How we know he's still there, but is he still there? Well, he was involved in the article of the Adam Brass, and if you're just the guy for international relation, you should have no say whatsoever in who's going to be the new TD. And apparently that's not the case. So another thing going on, NDS has still a lot of power with the impact. Uh, how shocking that is. Yeah. They just shifted him over. Like they, they sort of, it's like, it's almost like Joey shielded his buddy from further criticism by changing his title, but not changing what he's doing. This is what it seems like from the outside. Yeah, and absolutely. how can okay. We talked, Talk about the definition, the layman's definition of insanity with TFC all the time. I try and underline how much Montreal, the Montreal Impact are as equally crazy in a lot of ways as TFC, just sort of at a different scale. Like TFC's mistakes are all big and like looking for sizzle and excitement and not really dealing with the stake, whereas the Impact are all, I don't even know how to describe it, they're all... It's like they're too small and too inbred, I guess, is what you're, we're talking about here. And this They just, always shoot the devil they know. And sometimes to go forward or to achieve new thing or to uh, to grow up as an organization, you, you need to bring people from the outside. 
And like you said, the old boys network or your friends or the people you know or the devil you know might not be the right choices. And just the fact that they're not meet anybody else to at least consider anybody else tells me that the thought probably never crossed their mind which is probably wrong but action speaks louder than words and right now the actions are they did not meet anybody else for the for the job of td and they signed somebody else that they knew so there you go well and you know here to to turn it into like an evaluation of whether he can do the job um, we don't know. Maybe he will. Maybe he'll be brilliant at it. Maybe this is Adam Brass has some hidden talents that we just don't know about. And that is possible. I mean, it might sound like I'm being sarcastic when I say that. No, but, but that's, what Patrick, that's what Patrick Leduc exactly said, too. It's like the guy does have some skills required for the job. Will he be able to pull it off and to learn on the go and all that? If you were talking about how he was put in position to not succeed in Toronto as a defender. Well, it's kind of like the case that he's put in position not to succeed. As a former real estate agent, now a technical director. Yeah, and Clopas is below him in the pecking order. And he is, Clopas is the guy that he's going to have to lean on to get any of his MLS connections out there, right? Because uh, Adam guess, Braz yeah. had a cup of tea in MLS. He doesn't have, and he was the team manager. So he'd probably know other team managers in that, but not the important people that you're dealing with on a player level. Would he have contacts at the front office? Maybe a few, but again, they're not doing it at the same type of level. They're not the guys like he's dealing with the people that I dealt with when I worked with MLS soccer. You know what I mean? Like the people that book hotels is who he knows, not the GMs. And I don't know how that's going to help you in that role. This is my question is what kind of MLS experience and contacts does Adam Braz have and and how are you going to get overcome that? Basically, what this looks like to me, Kevin, is you have, you know, a neophyte that's that may be okay at it, but, you know, to use the, the criticism that comes in here in Toronto all the time is that they never hire experience and it always bites them in the ass. Well, Montreal's repeating that. They're repeating every mistake that TFC did with this kind of move. and, and, they're, and pretty, might, they're repeating their own mistakes for the last couple of years as well. Yeah, their own mistakes. And it's like both these Canadian teams seem to make the same mistakes over and over again and can't learn. I'm not too sure why that is. However... In uh, MLS, we've seen time and time again that there's a way to succeed, and usually it's not to start with somebody with no experience. Montreal tried it, Toronto tried it, and all the teams around the league that usually go with somebody that know what they're doing achieve success way faster than teams that think they know better. And I think it's time that everybody realizes, it's may a couple time, that we might have thought too highly of where we used to play, or maybe thought of too highly of ourselves or what we used to do, and realize that the step until MLS... Not just on the pitch, but off the pitch in the offices, everything about the organization is a little step higher than we thought it would. And we need to readjust ourselves to say, mea culpa, it's our fault, and we're going to correct the situation. And I don't think that that's what's going on. Yeah, this is what it comes down to me. The Impact are still building an A-League slash NESL team rather than an MLS team. And there's just different sort of things that you need to do there. So we'll see. It's a bizarre hiring, and I I don't know what more to say on it right now other than we'll sit back and watch. Uh, he has a very quick learning curve because there's a lot of important things happening in the next few. You know, we got the expansion draft coming up very quickly. Uh, we're going to have the re-entry draft in early December, which there is value to be found there if you know what you're doing. And that's the key to the re-entry draft is understanding those contracts and understanding what you can get value out of those scrap heap guys that some DC United has used brilliantly in the past to bring quality guys in that uh, that have been left behind, left behind by other players. If you know the value of your contract, you know your value of your cap, 
I don't know how he could possibly know this. And then, of course, you have the Super Draft in January. So there's a lot of things, not even counting the the discovery signings that you need to go out there to do as well. So uh, he's got to learn quick. It's the same position. It's actually even worse. Like uh, Tim Bezbachenko came into Toronto FC in August last year. So at least he had the end of the season to sort of get acclimatized to what was going on before he had to make these decisions. Braz is coming in completely dead right now from from being in Florida. And, you know, he's just got to it's, it's going to be Clopas's for the first little bit. You got to think that, right? Well, I hope so, because at least he's been there before. right? Yeah, it's going to be his decisions. And I know what you think of Clopas. So <laughs> but I want to reiterate what you said earlier. And I think it's important we leave the listener on that subject with this. We're going to give the guy the chance that we're not saying that. We're just saying that for him, too, he's not putting in the best situation for him to look good. And unfortunately, when you get those type of position, if it was me, I would love to be put in a situation where I can succeed, not easily, but faster than what Braz has been given. And that's some success. But it, there's another thing. When you're an all, not an all-fame, but when you're an alumni of a certain team, when the team calls you, it's hard to say no as well. Yeah, look, Adam Brass seems like, you know, he's got a business degree. He's got a little bit of understanding of the league. He's, he's done some of those kind of um, mm-hmm. caretaking kind of things, that, which do, do give you a certain level of understanding of how things work. So so maybe he would have come in as a nice little assistant GM, right? Yeah, and um, you build him up in a year or two, or you put him in charge of a Simoreal or whatever. There, there would have been a way to reintroduce him in that situation. But to give him the reins... Hopefully he does well with it. I really want him to do well with it. Will it happen? Only time will tell. Well, yeah, and this is all this is saying without dealing with the fact that he's also the technical, like the technical side of things. Like, yes, <laughs> you know, oversee the, the whole academy with a new USL pro team in the folds now that he anyway. needs to uh, say how they want to play. Which so. is just anyway bizarre. It's bizarre. Yeah. Uh, it really, truly bizarre. Right? <laughs> That's all we can say. Uh, as I've said with Bezbachenko, you've got to give these guys at that kind of role several years before you can truly evaluate them. I know there's people here in this city that want to throw Bezbachenko out after one year. That's the mistake TFC constantly makes. Uh, so Montreal at this point, having, having made this, which I think we both agree is, is at the very least has the potential of being a mistake hire, they have to let him grow into it, which might mean growing pains. And, and I don't know if the Montreal uh, market is going to be patient enough and if Joy Saputo is going to be patient enough to deal with those growing pains. Maybe with an old boy they might be because they have certainly been with NDS. So there we go. <laughs> All right, Kevin, uh, let's move on and have a little conversation about uh, the MVP in, uh, in Major League Soccer. Uh, there's a little bit of controversy there in that Bradley Wright Phillips, so it wasn't included in the vote, in the final vote. Uh, Lee Wen is a uh, former, very briefly, cup of coffee. We talked about cup of coffee, cup of tea there with uh, with MLS teams. Uh, Lee Wen had a very brief spell with the Vancouver Whitecaps, which uh, many people may have even forgotten about now. Or want uh, to forget about it, too, when you watch him play. Yeah, certainly, you know, and, and I've come around a little bit on, on Wynn, and we'll talk about him as a player right now before I get into the old stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. Certainly he has been the MVP of the playoffs to me so far. Um, I don't know whether I have enough. I, Robbie Keane was who I, I voted for in the uh, the league MVP vote. He's who I voted for last year. I believe he is the most important player in the league. Um, I think he is the engine that drives the LA Galaxy, and I believe the LA Galaxy are the best team in the league. So that is my thinking there. Uh, I think he was robbed of the MVP last year. McGee was a ridiculous pick. But anyway, I won't get back into that debate. Uh, 
Yeah, that's what we'll say about Bradley Wright Phillips. I think yeah. there's this instinct to just give it to the highest goal scorer, and I don't necessarily agree with that. I think you have to look at a greater thing. Robbie Keane does a lot more to create as well. If you look at his total, I like goals plus key passes as a as a metric, and he generally leads the league in that. That's, that's kind of where Robbie Keane is in my mind. So, uh, Well, I think Bradley Wright Phillips is a new Chris Wondolowski. We've seen it this year, but I don't think we'll ever see him ever close to scoring 27 goals ever again. Yeah, well, I need. Especially... It's a combination of Leon Dula, Henry playing well together, and needing a third man sometimes to get the job done. And not to dismiss what he's doing. Oh, of course. Uh, you can't. You still got to put the ball in the back of the net, and there's a certain amount of skill to that. Uh, and certainly, you know, if he's missing those chances, if he's missing setters. New York's not as good as they are. Uh, but that said, I my expectation, like Wondolowski, is that Bradley Wright Phillips is going to get a big pay raise out of this, and suddenly his great value is going to go away. Mm-hmm. Uh, I doubt he'll replicate it. Uh, he may go back to Europe. He may go back to to the championship or something like that. You can see something like that happening. Uh, or New York may pay him through the roof, especially if there's a fourth DP spot added next year. And I think that that's going to be a mistake. But uh, we'll see. I, I, I agree. You know, this is all a long-winded way of me saying I, I agree with him not being part of that final ballot. I would not have voted for him. I do not think he's like the McGee of this year. He would have been a mistake just blinded by the pure goals to put on there, in my opinion. Yeah, but I thought he should at least be there. Because if you're a non-hardcore fan or follower like we are, you still heard about what he did this season. And he has to be at least included in the talking, I guess. I, yeah, and he is. I mean, maybe in some ways you're getting more sort of uh, talk about him <laughs> this way. The other theory I've heard is that MLS, because MLS likes to, to promote its stars and likes to promote uh, its either its young American stars or its foreign old boys that come over, right? That's their two two sides that they really want to promote. And with that MVP vote right now, you've got a couple young guys there. And you have Robbie Keane and the and the old boy that's come over that everyone knows around the world. So it's kind of a perfect storm for them. Do they really want their MVP of their league to be a non-American that's kind of <laughs> from the championship level in England? That's maybe not something that they want. You know what I mean? Yeah, true. But uh, MV, and I call we call him MV Lee here in Montreal. Another podcast here in French. MV Lee and hashtag MV Lee has been started this season because. We've seen him play against Montreal, and the way he dominated and took over games, really an indicator of how well he is. And it always depends. We had that conversation earlier this season when the true definition of an MVP is, well, sometimes it's how he creates, how he dominates, how he takes over a game, and how he is valuable to that team. And Lee Wen this season has been, especially in the last couple of weeks, when New England went on the tear to finish the season and went on the tear in the playoffs, I remember that oh-so-dirty chip he did from about 30 yards away against Montreal this season. Oh, it was so technical and hard to do, but you need so much confidence in yourself as a player to even try it without uh, being uh, harassed by your teammate. So, And he did that many times this season. So it's just, he amazed me on the pitch, and I, we don't see that often. So he would get my vote this season. Yeah, and I, I can understand that. And as I said, I've come around on him a little bit. I d- didn't see him for a while during the year. New England had that long stretch where they weren't winning, too. Like forever. And then they came out of that. When Jones came over, I think in some ways here in Toronto, we talk about needing someone in the midfield to play effectively with Bradley. And I think that that's what New England has found with uh, with Jones and Wynn, right? That they're able to sort of complement each other and allow each other to, to excel in their in their roles. And, and we're seeing with another new guy called Teal Bunbury too, right? 
Yeah, well, we're going to talk about Teal and, and the the Rebs in our final segment. Don't worry, guys. But, uh, yeah, he's absolutely come through at the end. Um, Let's move towards the Vancouver thing. And before we do that, uh, I think Vancouver Whitecaps fans will love to know that Camilo, uh, do you, well, you tell the Whitecaps fans what, what he did in Mexico, Kevin. Well, Camilo won the Golden Boot in Mexico, the only player ever to win the MLS Golden Boot. And the Liga MX Golden Boot, especially back-to-back years. Uh, sorry, Whitecaps. Which begs the question, if you have Lee Wen and you have Camilo on your team, which the Whitecaps with just a little bit of, we're not even talking major differences in moves, just tiny little differences in moves. They very well could have had both of those guys playing for them this past year. And if that were the case, then maybe the Whitecaps are still playing uh, still playing some soccer right now. Maybe Kevin. the Whitecaps are playing the Galaxy. Yeah, that's it's a bit of it's gotta gotta burn a little bit there. Um, for those unfamiliar with the Lee Wynn story, he's got a, a very uh, jagged sort of trip from one side to the other, right? Like from his way to get where he is now is is not a straight line, is what I'm trying to say. I, uh, you know, he went to Holland for a while, then he left there, he came back, he ended up going to Thailand or something, Thailand, right? Anyway. Uh, then back to the MLS, and the way he came through in MLS is he went through the um, the weighted lottery, the famed weighted lottery. He's got to be the greatest weighted lottery pick that's ever come out of MLS. Uh, the weighted lottery is a mechanism set up in the way that only MLS can do, where they have returning U.S. youth players are coming back to the league, so they don't want to create a bidding war for them, because God forbid if there's a bidding war. So they weigh lottery based on teams that want to come in. So Vancouver was one of the teams that uh, that had some interest in win. They got one of the balls in the lottery, and sure enough, the ball came out. And for nothing whatsoever, the Whitecaps had win come onto their team. Uh, he was in training camp with them by all accounts. He looked okay. Wasn't excelling. He certainly wasn't. It's not fair to suggest that the Whitecaps, you know, missed a glaring thing under their nose because he certainly wasn't immediately uh, impacting the way he is now. But Certainly there was some talent there. But then in the middle of the training camp thing, and uh, this is your uh, language warning, folks, because in order to report this, I have to read what he wrote. Uh, he got on social media and he tweeted towards Brad Knight. and the, the, um, He tweeted this. He called him uh, a fag and with a lot of Gs for some reason. So anyway, and uh, then people kind of called him on that, as you should. And he followed it up. He made it worse in the follow-up. He tweeted, ha, ha. JKJK, which stands for just kidding, just kidding, for those that aren't 12-year-old girls. Guys, a lot of S's again, hashtag butthurt for sure, BFF for life, which tells me that Lee Wen's not the brightest ball, but however, this is what he tweeted, and that one didn't directly lead from one thing to another. He ended up apologizing for this. The Whitecaps really didn't have much to do with him after that. He was just at that point a guy that was in their training camp, they caught him, and uh, New England picked him up uh, for free as well. So that's the story of how Wynn ended up in New England. Um, was it the? I mean, sometimes we have to think bigger than just on the field. I know there are some Whitecaps fans that have expressed to me that they're okay with the Whitecaps cutting him because of that circumstance. It seemed like he didn't understand things, he wasn't mature enough, and there's no way to predict this. So you can't really blame the Whitecaps. So I'll, I'll just ask you, and we won't dwell on this, but uh, you know, do you, do you think that the Whitecaps did the right thing there? I guess so, because would would he really have changed everything for the Whitecaps, or would he be the player that he is today if he would have been with the Whitecaps? The answer is probably no, because he actually bloomed in the last couple of years, and especially this season. 
So I guess for both parties, him and the Whitecaps, both did what they had to do. And just going back on the tweet thing, sometimes between friends, there's things that are said in a certain context for fun that can be acceptable. But on the public eye, it's different. So there's always that threshold. And I think that day probably crossed that. Uh, Without saying that he's a bad person or anything, that's probably a total different subject. But... Uh, so just maybe I, I I said that word before, and I I never said it in public. I've always said it in certain circumstances where you're a couple of friends and you make jokes, and uh, never in a demeaning or disregarding manner. But on a public eye or on forums that it can be traced, it's unacceptable. And the way they dealt with it was probably right, and the way he became a better player with it is probably good good to him on that too. So I think for the best both parties on the best situation now yeah look i mean i don't want to get into this debate today but it's certainly the that language at that time there was a few other things that were coming out that were very similar and it sort of swelled up a debate a worthwhile debate about how that word is casually used sometimes as you describe and how that could be harmful and probably shouldn't be casually used it's but it you know you're right like people didn't use he probably wasn't using it to say that to be derogatory but it's just so ingrained that it would be derogatory so in in that in that way it is you know what i mean and we're getting into social commentary when we get into these conversations but that's uh certainly uh what is life people yeah it also he's got to show a little bit more um maturity about how he handles social media there's a certain Uh, restraint that you need a uh when you're in the public eye you're accountable for what you say and you need to restrain yourself sometimes to uh, be able to control what you're saying yeah and uh he did after he did apologize uh he tweeted out sorry guys if i offended anyone wasn't meant in that way and he went on to offer his um support to the uh the gay for soccer uh, movement which uh some people are familiar with uh which tends to bring up attention to these ideas and if memory serves and i don't want to speak for them but if memory serves the gay for soccer people uh, basically accepted his apologize in a quali- apology in a quali- quali- qualified way mm-hmm. sort of said you know you shouldn't be saying stuff like that and we're gonna call you on it but we understand that you didn't mean offense by it and we hope that you're sincere and you're you're reaching out now and your your belief to learn from this and that was what happened and we haven't heard of any incidents that happened after that so we we all i think like to think that maybe he did learn from it and moved on and certainly he has grown um you know to answer my own question do i blame the white caps for that no uh the only thing i would say is that um you know i i think that everyone deserves second chances for stuff like this especially players that maybe from an environment that didn't necessarily even occur to them that it was offensive mm-hmm. they do they don't deserve to be completely thrown under the bus anyone deserves a second chance in life and maybe the white caps had he been a little more prominent player for them at the time would have worked with them a little bit more to do that but it just wasn't worth their um, worth their time at that point and um Martin Rennie made a decision that uh, that on the pitch anyway, maybe some Whitecaps might regret. But uh, if they believed in their club as being representation or representing their values, then maybe they accept it that way. And uh, perhaps we'll leave it there. Um, last thought before we go to break and we uh, discuss the USL Pro stop. Um, Teshu, Kevin. Yeah. The, the maybe Canadian is the rookie of the year. Former uh, Canadian. Well, he hasn't completely stepped aside yet, and there's some. He did some interviews with MOS Soccer after the fact, where he said that the Canadian program was still a possibility. I think that the way that that played out was uh, sort of suggested to me that we shouldn't get our hopes up there at all, and maybe just move on. 
Uh, however, there is a bit, a bit of a note that uh, Akadeli, who we talked about a bit more in this podcast, was the rookie of the year. Wasn't a surprise. It's uh, it's who most people voted for. I think uh, it's it's who I thought was going to be the rookie of the year. Um, we'll see what happens to him on the international and on the domestic front moving forward. Uh, and we'll leave it at that for now. Kevin, let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll talk USL Pro. Thanks for listening to the Two Solitude Sucker Podcast with Kevin Laramie and Dwayne Rollins. You can reach the guys on Twitter at 24th Minute and at Kevin Laramie. Or both of them at Two Solitudes Pod. Reach the guys on email. Two Solitudes Podcast at gmail.com. But especially subscribe on Stitcher Radio. Now back to the show. And welcome back. Um, before we get into the USL Pro Talk, uh, a brief mention on the Canadian women's national team. Uh, they played a, a closed-door friendly yesterday in Sweden. Uh, they defeated Sweden, which is actually a very good result for them. 1-0. Now, we can't really talk much about it because it was a closed-door friendly, and that implies that we couldn't see it. It doesn't imply it. It outright suggests and tells us that we couldn't watch it. So that was the score. It was 1-0 for the Canadians. Uh, of note, Erin McLeod, the uh, keeper, her 100th cap. So we congratulate her, and we congratulate the Canadian women's national team for a a, a solid win over a rival, and uh, we move on. Kevin, <laughs> I, I don't know if there's anything more to say, but uh, USL Pro, there is something to say about that. There were two announcements last week. They came in rapid fire, kind of unexpected, but expected, if that makes sense. They were and there was one in Montreal as well. We have a coach for the new FC Montreal USL Pro team. Oh, okay. Well, let's lead with that then. Kevin, who is the coach for the USL Pro team? Former Attack of Three Rivers coach, director of the academy, Mr. Philippe Eulafroy, will take the reins of the USL Pro team in Montreal, called the FC Montreal, starting this season. Did you just call them Three River? Uh, yeah, the Attack of Three Rivers. <laughs> used to be in Trois Rivières. <laughs> Trois Rivières. I always find yeah. that funny that everyone in Quebec, when they talk into, to Anglos, always refer to it as Three Rivers. And everyone, I know. But English Canada always calls it Trois Rivières. <laughs> but for some reason, I've seen that city called Three Rivers written. Many times, that's why I used it. Otherwise, I would have said Trois yeah, for sure. But I've seen it. That's one of the only cities in France that I've seen actual translation written for that in descriptions or in text or whatever. So that's what I said. But uh, he used to be uh, the coach of the attack, now uh, coach of FC Montreal. Yeah, real quick, Brad. When I used to live at East, uh, I had a very strange conversation with one, one someone for a while where he kept telling me to turn at Wolf River, and I didn't know where the hell he was talking about. But anyway, <laughs> Rivera de Lue. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Wolf River. Wolf River. Where is Wolf River? <laughs> anyway, there's some Canadian Quebec inside jokes there. <laughs> the two solitudes. <laughs> However, um, all right. Uh, what do you think of that hiring, Kevin? Track? I think that's probably the best thing the Impact have done in a long time. <laughs> best thing done this year, at least. There you go. It's the best move in Impact history. Is that what I'm hearing here? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. He's a guy... Totally, with his background, he used to be involved in with Troy. He has a very interesting story, if you actually want to read about it. Look on uh, Pascal Nano's article in the past last couple of days. But he was uh, he has a great character and a great father figure, authority figure type of stance that's just great for that type of team and for what we want them to be, which are training grounds. And that leads into your two news that you were going to talk about. Yeah, it- the, the two news here today are Vancouver and Toronto in back-to-back days made announcements. Jason Bent is the coach here in Toronto. 
Uh, Jason Bent's been around uh, since the beginning days. Those who don't know Jason Bent's story, he was a, a promising player in the Canadian national team program in Europe, uh, suffered some concussions. He's one of the early guys to have their career uh, derailed by concussions. He came back, got heavily into the coaching, has all of his badges, been with TFC, survived multiple firings and hirings, and uh, is still around. So good for him to finally get a team of his own at the USL Pro level. Um, I think that uh, they might even be thinking that Jason Bent will one day be the next guy to take over after Greg Vanny, too. Uh, that might suggest to me this as well. So putting that aside, though, I think in general, we don't know who Vancouver's coach is, by the way. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, just in general sense, now that the three Canadian teams all have their own USL pro teams, and there's a certain necessity to that, as Toronto learned with Wilmington uh, last year. Uh, the international transfer really plays havoc with the ability to have an affiliate. Uh, they had to recall, like Quinlan Roberts had to get recalled in August and really just sit in the bench for the last month of the year rather than play a prominent role in Wilmington's um, playoff drive and so on and so forth. Uh, they ended up sending, basically calling back anyone that they thought might have a chance to play with TFC, uh, and they sent down um, a young kid from the, the academy to give him some time, but by and large... They just they, they had to call back anyone that really was playing a prominent role for the for the Hammerhead. So it just wasn't a workable relationship for the American team or the Canadian team. So they really had to go with the standalone affiliate. But um, you know, beyond that, I think they, they should have gone there anyway, Kevin. And I think we all agree that that having these additional spots and because of the quota rule and as a reminder, uh, 50% plus 50% of the roster has to be Canadian and six of 11 starters have to be Canadian in each and every game. Uh, the CSA did say that they would have some allowances for that if there's injuries or whatever, but by and large, you need to be starting more than half of your starters Canadian. And this has to be good news, right? Yeah, the rule is not in concrete, but you need to have good reason to make it bend. Yeah. It'd be more like a rolling average. So, you know, at the end of the year, you look at – there was a couple games where injuries or whatever, national team call-ups took some players away. Fine, on those games you can start four. But if, for instance, one of the three teams was consistently starting below that, they're going to get themselves into trouble. And maybe we could talk about that. Um, I know that there are some people, and I'm not going to point out geographically where they are, BC, <laughs> for the most part. <laughs> they uh, don't like the quotas. And – uh they they think that it's that it goes against the uh, premise of winning soccer. That soccer club soccer team should only be about developing players for the club team, and there is some truth to that on some level. Uh, everywhere else in the world, I think that I and I agree with it in most parts of the world. You know, I'm, I on my English team, I don't really worry about how Manchester City develops England's next generation of players because it's the Premier League. And it's England's own deal to deal with their own players. Whereas here in Canada, when we only have three teams at the highest level, if we're not then requiring them, and there, there are three teams at the highest level and their guests that are being allowed by the CSA. This is where I think that I really differ in my opinion, Kevin. It is the CSA granting these people permission to play in another country's leagues. Yep. I think they then have a bit of a moral obligation to to at least give back a little bit because they're being allowed to be profitable and and to be a business in this operation. You know what I mean? I totally agree. But one thing I like about the fact that every team in Canada that is in Major League Soccer has a USL Pro team now of their own is we all thought, we talked about in the, our 1984 show last couple of weeks and how we'll probably in, we'll do an 86 show eventually, but how Canada was good and achieved the World Cup. Okay, I know it's in the past and we don't want to dwell in the past, 
But now with those three teams, it's eight teams in Canada playing in the top three division of soccer. So at least there's spots for many Canadians on eight different teams to get quality playing time. And hopefully it'll give a big boost to the national team, but hopefully it does it quickly as well because yeah. time goes by really quickly. But with those eight teams, there's a chance that Canada produce at least one or two more players than he used to be. That could be enough to uh, change things. Yeah, and look, American listeners on the show are going to kind of snicker to themselves. We're talking about USL pro teams, like they're going to be playing major roles in our in our national team development. But they, well, they are. <laughs> so, and, and I don't necessarily view this in the same negative way that they will. I know there's a huge debate in American circles right now over the inclusion of of a like a college player and an NASL player in their national team call ups by Klinsman. And there's this all like, whoa, what's this mean? And there's a little bit more of a political element to the NASL versus MLS debate in the United States because they can afford to have that debate, whereas we up here in Canada just need the teams, right? And anyone playing consistently is going to be worthwhile. And I always look at it this way. Is the NASL, is the US, is USL Pro at the same level of MLS? No, clearly not with the USL Pro and, and probably not. With NASL, most players, it's probably 80% of NASL is below MLS level. They're... Yeah, but the best NASL players can play in MLS, and the worst MLS players will be able to struggle in the NASL. That's the thing where the league gets to be similar, though. Yeah, that's where I'm getting at with that 80% number. Cool. But the familiar, like, if you look at, like, the leagues like the Honduran League or the Costa Rican League and all that, these leagues aren't as good as MLS either, and a large majority of their national teams play in those. It's not so much the quality of the league that matters. It's the quality and the consistency of playing that matters for these players. If they're consistently playing and consistently playing together in many cases, this is going to be a benefit. I don't think in the long run you're going to see a lot of direct NA or USL Pro to Canadian national team call-ups. At least you'd hope not. But what you will see is connections back to these USL Pro teams, that players that go on to play for the MLS clubs or go on to play in Europe from a USL Pro team, because I think that the uh, Canadian MLS academies are far more open to the idea of selling their players on to Europe. I think even you might see Jordan Hamilton one day going on that route, right? Uh, Daniel Henry going to Cyprus and maybe beyond in the next in the near future. These are all, he was a, an academy grad as well. They may not go directly there from the academies, but the idea that they'd move them on eventually is part of the plan. Well, it's um, part of the, one of the business uh, part of Major League Soccer is with the academies is you can make money with the, when you sell your own players. So that's one of the business venture of their actual league. Yeah, well, and there's this that brings up a debate right there too. I, I and look, I got into it on Twitter with people over my fear because the two Toronto didn't announce anything to do with pricing whatsoever when they announced their team. I have a feeling it's going to either be very free or very, very, very cheap. Uh, probably free for season ticket holders. Montreal, we know, is free, free all around, correct? Yep. Uh, Vancouver announced season ticket packages. <laughs> Only nine bucks to take game or something, which isn't very expensive. It's CHL kind of pricing, well, a little even cheaper than CHL pricing, Canadian Hockey League, for those who don't know. Uh, however, to me, that struck it struck me the wrong way, and it made me think that the, the Vancouver's approaching things as this is a new pro team that we're going to compete to win trophies with. Whereas in Montreal and Toronto's case, the the vibe I got out of it is this is a place for our young kids to play. And I'm not saying that there isn't going to be element of, of Vancouver and Toronto, or sorry, Toronto and Montreal trying to win. And I'm not saying there's not going to be elements of Vancouver trying to develop. But it's just the philosophy when they announce ticket prices front and center in the initial thing sort of strikes me the wrong way. And we'll see how that plays out. Uh, but 
it does speak to that philosophical differences in how you can operate these USL pro teams. And we'll lead the conversation there now, Kevin. Like, if you were watching FC Montreal next year, do you care if they win games? No. I will be going with my notepad and focusing on players themselves, and I'll be treating them as practice session of the... I'll be treating them as the former Reserve League type of games. Yeah, and they are a Reserve League games in a way, although they're much more intense, I, I would suspect. I would a lot more teams than Reserve now. There's a lot yeah, of teams well, in USL Pro now. Inconsistent leagues and rules and overseeing and everything else, yeah. whereas the, the Reserve League was a disaster. At any rate, <laughs> if anyone had ever been to a Reserve game. Um, those in Vancouver were arguing back, and I'll give their position. They were suggesting to me that if you're not charging tickets, then it isn't a pro environment and that they're not getting the pro development and you might as well just have open scrimmages or something like that. And I don't necessarily buy that because they're making the assumption that no one's going to show up and no one's going to care whether they win and lose. I do think there's going to be some level of, uh, as I talked to Mike Stefano for the, the TFC Academy this year, lots of times he would stress this, that winning is part part of development and it's certainly going to be part of development at the USL pro level it's just not the be all end all and I worry when you get ticket prices involved in season ticket holders and all that whether it starts to become the be all end all and you start to bring in 27 28 year olds to fill out rosters rather than going completely with 2021 year olds and I think that that's or 19 year olds 18 year olds even mm-hmm. I think that's the way you should be going I don't I do want TFC uh Toronto FC as I'm liking to call them now in Vancouver. Um, <laughs> I do want them to win, but I want them to win with the right players on the pitch. And I don't want to see USL journeymen out there. And that's my biggest thing that I'm going to be watching for. If TFC starts signing like... Like if D-Rose playing for Toronto FC, you won't be happy. Unless it's in a... Re- I, I will give some allowances for players try- that from the MLS team players that are trying to do a a rehab assignment. I think that that's fair. But by and large, the core of those teams should be made out of young academy grads that they're looking at to see whether they can sign them to pro contracts. That should be all that it's about. Here brings a question to mind. Should the passage of USL in USL Pro be mandatory for the academy kids going forward now that they have that system included in the pyramid of each club? I don't know if mandatory is the way I'd go. Uh, it certainly should be uh, recommended, though. You've seen at Toronto, in, where I can speak of as well, and, and certainly, you know, you're going to look at Vancouver, Bryce Alderson getting uh, drifted aside. Uh, and I've heard through the grapevine that Bryce Alderson uh, had chose to leave the club because he didn't want to play in USL Pro next year, which I would question whether he should reconsider that. But, however, uh, had Bryce Alderson had USL Pro as an option three years ago, then certainly he should have been in it, right? Okay. Um I would argue even like a guy like uh, Ashton Morgan would have benefited from playing a couple years in USL Pro before he moved up to MLS, and maybe he wouldn't be having the same type of struggles now. Even a guy, if you go way back, uh, Nana Atacora even, you know, like guys like that, going and that's to say nothing of your Matt Stinsons and your guys that are, we don't even remember their name, names anymore, that were uh, briefly with TFC. Uh, as homegrowns that have, are long gone playing, you know, as overages in League One now. The, that absolutely is a place for them because it's look. Some they're still going to have a lot of them are going to fail, Kevin. Yeah, let's not kid ourselves. Now, just because we have a USL Pro team there doesn't mean that every one of these guys that that didn't find their way to the to the MLS or to that level is going to suddenly start finding their way there. But it will mean that more of them will, right? And that's what people people don't have the right 
mindset towards academy sometimes. People are like, oh, we only produce a player a year. Well, a player a year is magnificent as a result for an academy. If you do one or two players a year that graduate to a team, that's a lot. And just that could be a goldmine for yourself. Sometimes you have to take a step back and look at the academy, the whole process of it as being like, if you can get one or two players every 18 months, you're in golden position for your academy. That's what yeah. you need to be doing. And that's what people need to realize, though, with the USL Pro teams. Your hopes for need to be a little higher, but not that much higher. Because the fact is, only a handful of players will ever make it out of the academy and have successful in less career. And the chance that there's a David Beckham hidden somewhere, it's there. But it's still very small. So, oh. there you go. Yeah, well, then that David Beckham's going to graduate at 16. From the yes. academy, right? And that's another thing that we get bogged down in North America with. We think we call twenty-two-year-olds young. It's absurd. They're not. They're, they're not old soccer. In the international, yeah, exactly. Soccer, yeah. Within North American soccer, they may still have a chance to have an, to have a decent MLS impact and and a minimal, but there in Canadians' case, national team impact at twenty-one, twenty-two. But you really need to be finding these kids at seventeen, eighteen. Uh, if you're going to have them stars, and yeah, to, to, there's no hard set number on this, but pulling numbers out of the out of my backside, yeah. if you were producing, you know, one pro per year out of your academy, that's probably going to require you to graduate five five USL pros people a year out of your academy and one out of your USL pro team a year. That kind of filter, maybe one every five years becomes a star. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's reasonable, but it's if you have that coming out of uh, three MLS academies and two NASL academies and hopefully more in the future, that kind of graduation of, and having those guys playing consistent minutes at a young age so that they are playing together. I'm playing together. I think that matters in the Canadian sense. Mm-hmm. Then you're going to see an improvement of the national team. Is it going to be an improvement to the point that they're like world beaters? Hell no. <laughs> but they might be able to get to a World Cup one day and that's really all we can ever hope for in this country and that's I think we all understand that but it's sometimes worth uh, that our goals are a little bit different than Germany's or Brazil's goals. They're just to get there and be at the dance. <laughs> anyway. All right, Kevin, speaking of the dance, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll talk about uh, something that we know very little about in this country. And that's the MLS playoffs. We are proud to be nominated in the world soccer talk MLS 2014 awards in the category best podcast. So go without hesitating, worldsuckertalk.com. Vote for the two salt dudes in the best podcast category. Thank you very much. And welcome back to our MLS playoff review. Playoffs. Talk about playoffs here. Yeah, I don't know what those are. Um, (laughs) New England. Are they the favorites now, Kevin? In the East, for sure. But the way they looked against New York, the... They had the instinct of a killer. The way they did that goal in the 85th minute, the, the, the Lee went, Teal Bunbury crossed, the Jermaine Jones finishes it. Just those three created a hell of a game against New York. And I have to admit, Red Bull Arena filled with 35,000 people, maybe 5,000 of them New England fans, was a great spectacle for a great playoff game. The atmosphere, uh, that game got to me. Yeah, no, and I'm an East Coast guy. 
So East Coast aesthetic always feels a little bit better to me. And I know that the, you know, the Cascadia fans and all that, they're loud in their numbers and they do what they do. And I understand that that's a good thing. But uh, there's fine. something about an East Coast, like the grit of it that I prefer. And that was kind of what that was about. A New York kind of, I don't know, organic kind of. And I'm insulting the West Coast listeners as I say this. I know that. But it, it just, it, it speaks to me a little bit more because I'm an East Coast kind of guy. And it's rougher to live here. And that shows in a lot of different things and it shows in a crowd in a sports venue all right now that we've done insulting the uh, seattle fans because they're a little sensitive sometimes about that because they so vancouver and seattle today Woo, we're in a good well <laughs> yeah we're in- invented indignant <laughs> reaction to me um i don't know that's terrible sorry guys uh all right uh yeah back to the game um a couple talking points out of this and let's start with uh well when I, I, he to me was the player of the game and as the player of the playoffs so far uh bunbury had a great first goal and we'll talk about teal in a second but when was all about that second goal which is the key goal in this playoff uh new york basically has to win by two goals on the road now to have a chance they need to score three to to make sure and if they scored two it's just going to be tied two no would uh, get it to yeah if, they, but, if, uh, if uh new england scores one right yeah, but so when opened up the space and New England sat back and played a bit of a counter game as you'd expect them to do that. Uh, but they play a counter game in a, in a very MLS aggressive kind of way. They're looking to get on the break constantly, looking to get forward constantly. They killed Columbus with that. Uh, absolutely left them to fluttering on the ground. You know, like they were just it was a terrible sort of performance by them. So and New York was a better team than Columbus, but they still. Basically, to me, we're completely in control of that from the get-go, and it's just hard to see, even with the firepower of an Henri, and uh, especially with Bradley Wright Phillips out for the second leg, it's hard to see how New York gets back. And it's on turf, so will Larry even play? I guess now they don't have the choice. But they got close, though. New York got close many times during the game. It bent, They scored a goal, but it never broke, and New England really controlled the game in the midfield, and that's where it was when, when and won, you can say, because of when. And I think New York will score on the road, too, and I think that this is the thing that I get out of New England's playoff run is they're not afraid to allow because they're confident that they'll get a couple. And that's why, in my mind, I've changed a little bit. I, I predicted in New York, I predicted L.A. to win the, the MLS Cup, and I still think that's possible, but I am sort of, after watching a couple weeks of the playoff run, think that, that it might finally be the Buffalo Bills turn right that <laughs> england may may get it done uh they certainly are built as an exciting fast team they're one of the teams that was a lot of people's dark horses at the start of the year they had that big slump in the middle of the year but then they've turned it around they brought jones in uh jones has solidified things he's playing not to make this tfc centric but to jones is playing the way i think bradley should be playing for tfc with some young exciting guy up front uh running more forward less defensive minded it's exactly the scenario I would uh, that I would be doing with Bradley next year, and there's even a player on the roster in Jonathan Osario that might be able to play a similar role. However, that's too much TFC talk for this podcast. Um, let's talk about Bradley Wright Phillips and how much of a bonehead he is, Kevin. <laughs> that getting that yellow card and having him now out for the next game have sealed New York's fate, I think. Well, certainly it doesn't help. Uh, they do have Henri. Uh, he's going to be playing on turf. He has said he's going to be playing, and, and I'm glad that he said that because if he decided to sit this game out, that basically any New York Red Bulls fan should be marching to New England and, and doing nothing but booing him on the bench if he decided not to play this playoff game. That would really kick be- him out of New York. That's what you needed to do if he would have said that. 
incredibly disrespectful if he had not, but he didn't, so we move on. Um, I don't think the turf's going to you know, reach up and eat him alive. Um, He's going to score two goals. <laughs> Just look at it. Yeah, should, should we run the bumper? <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about turf. No, let's not run the bumper. Um, hasn't been any news in that lately, so... <laughs> Which is a good thing, by the way. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, look, it's only his first It's his first appearance in New England. It is terrible, terrible. After four years. It's kind of absurd, however. He plays and, twice a year there, at least once or twice a year. And it could be his last ever game. It's kind of... There, there's some irony to that, too. The greatest turf hater ever is going to finish his career standing in, like, the plastic blades with, like, a New England Patriots. <laughs> like, all the, the poor European fans. Sitting all on the pitch. final game. It's going to yeah. be standing in the middle of the New England Patriot mascot. Shaking his fist at clouds. Saying, why? Why am I working? Why am I playing on this awful surface? Oh... Uh. Oh, some great evaluation of the playoffs here, guys. Um, at any rate, look, New England looks great. And we should talk, we'll finish our talk about New England with, with Bunbury. Uh, great goal. What is the greatest goal I've seen in MLS in a long time? Yeah, a little off his left foot, cut back through. Uh, he uh, played the ball into Jones for the second goal as well. Uh, argument can be made that Teal Bunbury was the man of the match for that. I think it was win, but and the commentators gave it to Jones because you got to give it to the DP, I guess. But at any rate, um, does Bunbury, if he keeps playing like this, if he keeps scoring goals like this, he may end up getting himself back into the U.S. national team. Huntsman seems to be calling everyone up now, and it's only a matter of time, you'd think, until he gives him a look. At least the January camp, you'd think. Wouldn't, wouldn't you, Kevin? Yeah, well, whenever he changed his position when he was injured and came back and had a more offensive type of role, he, he struggled, but he, he was getting better and better. And now being more better surrounded in the last couple of weeks with the arrival of Jones and with the form of when he was able to be the right guy at the right place at the right time. Is he all on him? I'm not, I wouldn't say 100%, but 80% of it is his. Uh, and I think he d- might be deserving of getting at least a look or uh, a second opinion by your Vince Klinsman. Yeah, if you're bringing up college kids, you can bring yeah, exactly. You know, And again, Neil Bunbury, I was the person Teal lied to. So I, uh, of all Canadians, have the right to be still bitter at Teal. Uh, but he did grow up in the United States. I think he didn't handle that very well. But maybe it's time to just move past him a little bit. He's hardly ever going to be a, a prominent player in the U.S. national team. He could have made a role, a difference here. But he's not, so we move on. It's going to be great when we watch uh, Teshu and uh, Teal line up against Canada in that World Cup qualifier, though, eh, Kevin? <laughs> Thanks for uh, putting the dagger in. All right, flipping the page. Uh, let's talk about the LA Galaxy and the high-powered uh, offensive juggernaut that is the <laughs> Seattle Sounders, Kevin. Yeah, they're really going to hate you in the Cascadia now. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Seattle invented not advancing. They're not scoring from open play. Well, they didn't. They advanced on what on wiggle. Yeah, Wakefield's so. and now they're they didn't they lost one nil of course to uh, LA. The, the, those that didn't know the result of the uh, New York uh, New England score was two one for New England. Um, the one nil for LA in the Sounders, uh, right? Sounders game. Yeah, the Sounders game. Uh, look, it's kind of a strange little thing happening there. Why can't Seattle score there? Uh, Yedlin wasn't really involved. They were keeping the fullbacks back a little bit. That's the only thing I can really notice that they weren't getting forward. They weren't bombing forward the way that they like to in the regular season. Is that the yeps maybe by Shiki Smith? I don't know. I think so. If Yedlin just stays defensive, he's just another defender that there's 
a hundred of him like this in the world. If he goes forward, he has something that the other left backs or right backs, depending, don't have. So he should use what he's better at. That's why Tottenham signed him. Not because he can stay defensively, but because he can push and press the attack. And that may be one of the key to beat LA, because LA is pretty strong in the middle, pretty strong going forward, but can be taken sometimes on the flank. We've seen that uh, the team they destroyed earlier in the playoff. They, oh, that's what they was trying to do, never being able to, but they don't have the Yedlin. Seattle does, and it's going to be interesting to see what they do now. Yeah, obviously Schmidt was probably playing a bit of the road game. He saw what happened uh, against Salt Lake, uh, where L.A. bombed forward and got five goals. However, uh, look, this is where you kind of like what New England's doing versus what uh, Seattle's doing. Seattle should be the favorites going in this. They have the weapons to kind of play that offensive attack zone. They have the weapons to take uh, ties by their throat and to strangle teams out with just overpowering them offensively, but instead they're not. Now, Chad Marshall, I think, is having a great playoff. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned how Lee Wynn was my MVP of the playoffs uh, before. I think Chad Marshall, he's not going to get voted for it while they vote for the final game, not just overall playoffs. But he wouldn't get noticed in the same way because he's a defender. But um, certainly he is a guy that I, I think has solidified that, uh, allowed Stefan Fry to, to stand up and make a couple good saves. Well, I've got to ask Stefan, what the hell is with that ponytail? Like, what are you doing with your hair, Steph? Anyway, I, I digress. Um <laughs> So, yes, if Shiggy Schmidt gets out there and grinds out a win, wins 1-0 in, in Seattle or something, or, well, 1-0 would take it to extra time, of course, wins 2-0 in Seattle and gets the result, people are going to say it was a brilliant tactical sort of move to shut them down in L.A. and not allow more. If, However, it's a fine line, and if he doesn't, then Schmidt is going to be seen as another, fail, another Seattle playoff collapse and... I don't know if his job will be in jeopardy after winning a Supporters' Shield in a U.S. Open Cup this year, but certainly there will be some that will be critical of his handling in the playoffs. Maybe they'll just put him coach of Seattle 2 next year. <laughs> Seattle. Seattle 2? No, it doesn't work. Two at all. We just got to get my to tell us, listeners, how many tube puns we can get out there. All right, uh, look, uh, both the second legs, that's the thing about two legs, two ties, is that uh, really the first leg is only the first half, and there's a lot more story to come, and we'll be watching them carefully next week. But what, uh, here's a, one question for you, Dwayne. Sure. Both away teams getting one goal advantage going back home. Well, not the exact opposite, but New England going back home with goal advantage, and Seattle going back home with a goal disadvantage. Is L.A. in better shape than New York, uh, than New England, or would New England... Because with the turf and with the cold and all that, maybe New England is a little bit more advantageous with that one goal than LA could be. I think I think New England's in very good position, if I have to predict, because that, being up on two away goals, being up a goal with two away goals means that New York is going to have to open up, and that's going to completely set themselves up for, for another counterattack game. Uh, you know, New England can afford to shoot it out with them, and they have the firepower to score goals. So, like, I could see that second leg in New England being like a 2-2 or a 3-3 or something, or even like a 3-2 New York win or something. But it's it's totally in the advantage of uh, a 3-2 New York win would give it to New York, wouldn't it, Dwayne? Um, (laughs) That's the the first scenario that would give it to to New York. Yes. So they they better not let it be a 3-2 win. They got two goals to play with, right? Math with Dwayne. (laughs) Are you just that guy? 
Yeah. <laughs> However, uh, I'm saying that I could see them trying to, to make it like a 1-1 or a 2-2 or something. You know, like I, I could see some goals in that game, but I do think New England is really in the driver's seat. Um, I like L.A. I like I don't like them. Like them. I like them. I like them because they're good, but not because I like them. Yeah. <laughs> they're a good team. Uh, a lot of solid parts there. And, and I, you know, I don't like the intangible playoff thing, but this is a team that knows how to win the MLS Cup. That's won it a few times. They have a lot of veteran players. They've got the Landon factor at play, which seems to be something that's happening. I don't understand it, but it seems to be out there. Um, he's like I laying it down, I guess, is what it comes down to. I, laying I still, it down, LD? Oh. Yeah, LD, there you go. The legend will continue to march on. No, I, 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 Seattle has to prove it for me to believe that they can win it, and I think that's a fair way to put it. Um, so as it stands right now, I think your final prediction of New England, uh, L.A. will be what it will be. So uh, that's the prediction I'm going to go with now. Uh, although, you know, maybe I should hold on to my New York-ness, but um, alas, I'm rambling. Okay, Kevin? Until next time on the Two Solitudes, probably this week, and watch for the Rick Mercer report this week where they, the Canadian women's national team actually tried to put Rick Mercer in the team. A very funny skit. Watch for that this week. And until then, have a great soccer. Thanks for listening to the Two Solitude Soccer Podcast on Stitcher Radio with Dwayne Rollins and Kevin Laramie. Subscribe to the show on Stitcher Radio. Listen to the show on Stitcher Radio. Stitcher Radio, Stitcher Radio. Would you just please subscribe to the show on Stitcher Radio? Thank you very much for subscribing to the show. And now, back to the show on Stitcher Radio. Coming soon on Stitcher Radio.